You're listening to a chapel message from Trinity Christian College, recorded live at the Ozinga Chapel Auditorium in Palos Heights, Illinois. In the year of our Lord, 2015, Pastor Ben set out with his friends to do an all-night movie marathon of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Okay. So we got our popcorn, we got our blankets, and then off we went to Mordor. And this was not just an amateur watch party. We had committed to the extended edition, and that is all 11 hours and 22 minutes. Now, before that night, I had never seen the Lord of the Rings movies. And in fact, I still have never seen them because I fell asleep about halfway into the first movie and woke up at the end of the third. So this is what I remember. I remember the beginning of the movie. There's like a hut on a hill, okay? And I remember the end of the movie where there was like a volcano. It's pretty much all I got there. And I know this is a controversial opinion, but I am one of those people that does not like the Lord of the Rings series. I, wow, okay. And look, I get, I, get, I get all the arguments for it, right? Oh, it's such a, such a well-written saga. It has, it has such deeply Christian themes, and I don't care about any of that. That does not matter. I find it too confusing. I think it has way too many details to track. But I do appreciate how the Lord of the Rings crafts such an intricate story, even if I don't fully understand it. Because stories shape our lives. They orient our realities and help us give meaning to the complex world around us. But it is easy, right, to lose our grip on stories. Because all too often we fall asleep, we lose track of details, and we shape stories on our own terms rather than letting these stories shape us. And this is especially true when it comes to God's story as revealed in the Bible. I think that we need to recapture a better sense of God's story. Because we live in a culture where other forces try to narrate the reality of the world. They tell us that the world runs on individual determination, on economic prosperity, on social balancing. In this semester in chapel, our series will preach through the book of James, a letter in the New Testament that's very well known for its practical, real-life applications. And our theme, as you probably see, is called living faith. Living faith. We'll be talking about how Christian faith is more than just believing or agreeing to the right things, but also about living in ways where faith is made sight. But before we talk about living faith, as James wants to teach us, we thought it would be wise to first step back and talk about, well, what is faith? What is Christian faith anyways? Because it's easy to let our faith, the story of God revealed in scripture and continued in the life of the church today, it's easy to let that get washed away, to get forgotten. And so we're gonna use the first three chapels to grab a hold on God's story to orient our year. And we'll unpack three frames in this sort of grand story of the whole world. And these are pretty um, simple, but we're gonna use them. And they are that we are one, blessed by God, that two, we are redeemed by Christ, and that three, we are equipped by the Spirit. Blessed, redeemed, and equipped. That together, these frame, in some ways, a beginning to thinking about the story of faith. So today, we're going to look at that first faith frame, that we are blessed by God. Now, blessing, or blessed, is a very tricky term to pin down. It can be a cheap Christian word at best, At worst, it could be associated with unhealthy prosperity theology. And we use this word a lot in the church, 
right? We, we bless our food before we eat. We bless somebody when they sneeze. When I lived in the South, people would always say, oh, oh, bless your soul. I have no idea what that meant, but I say it a lot. Our reading for this morning comes from the book of Numbers, and it can sharpen our understanding, I think, of what it means to be blessed by God. It's in the thick of Israel's travels, travels through the wilderness. And when we find Israel in Numbers 23, the, the people of Israel, God's chosen nation, is traveling through Moab. Now, this is a scary place to be because Moab was enemy territory for the Israelites. Even though these two nations shared a lot of common heritage, they always saw each other as a threat. And so when the king of Moab, named Balak, saw that their enemies were crossing into their land, he hires a pagan sorcerer named Balaam to curse Israel as they travel. Now, getting Balaam was like kind of a big deal. Balaam was this ancient celebrity. He was internationally renowned for his ability to bless and curse others. And so, you know, King Balak, he, he logs onto the dark web. He hires this amazing prophet. And what does Balaam say? His first prophecy begins in verses 7 and 8. This was the message Balaam delivered. Balak summoned me to come from Aram. The king of Moab brought me from the eastern hills. Come, he said, come curse Jacob for me. Come and announce Israel's doom. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom the Lord has not condemned? It's a shocking twist for the king that this prophet who, who offered a satisfaction guarantee for his ability to coerce the gods into doing whatever the client wanted, that Balaam can do nothing but bless those whom he was hired to curse. Balaam knew how to appease the pagan gods, but he is stumped when it comes to the God of Israel, when he has encountered an incomparable God who has promised to bless an incomparable people. This, and I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. And this is a God who blesses. And Balaam sees that these are people who, as he says in verse 9, live differently, set apart from the other nations. The people of Israel are leaning into God's promises and being fruitful in their work. Balaam cannot deny that God's people are truly blessed. But Balak rebukes the prophets who has, who has now scammed him. He says, beginning in verse 11, King Balak demanded of Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies. Instead, you have blessed them. But Balaam replied, I will speak only the message that the Lord puts in my mouth. And so what I'd like to bring forth from this text is the unstoppability of God's blessing. The unstoppability of God's blessing. That's not really a word, but we're going to make it as such because the world cannot curse what God has blessed. The world cannot curse what God has blessed. Being blessed means that God always gives us what we need to flourish in the world. Dr. Kika reminded us last week that the Bible celebrates this breathtaking abundance that's sourced from God's love for the world. And that's why God's blessing is so powerful. Because just like the Israelites, who even in the face of powerful enemies and professional curse casters could not be thwarted, we too receive an unstoppable blessing from a God who always gives more. And yet, don't we often feel cursed? I doubt that we have sorcerers calling down curses on us as we walk to class or to work each day. 
But perhaps we think that if we're not actively receiving a blessing, then we must be cursed. There's the relationship that unexpectedly ended, the promotion that you didn't receive, the grim news that came out of nowhere. I can't find a major. I can't find a spouse. I can't find a calling. This cannot be what God has meant by a blessed in a world where God's blessings have been hijacked, infected with evil, and distorted by sin. As early as when Adam and Eve chose to take matters into their own hands, deciding what they thought was good in the blessing of God's garden, the world tells us that we can flourish through other ways. In other words, we try to bless ourselves. When left to our own devices, we define a blessed life as the one with the newest iPhone, with zero friend drama, with minimal student debt. When we try to accept God's blessings on our own terms, manipulating them to fit what we think is the good life, we actually experience curses. Because a curse, as spooky as that term might sound, is nothing more than a distorted blessing. And when I was thinking about curses, I wonder, and hang with me for a moment, we all need to hang with me for this, okay? Get ready. If we might think our biggest curse at Trinity is our dining hall. Okay, okay. I know how we're feeling. Hang with me. These are challenging days for those in the food service industry, and I think we should always be ready to show more grace and more mercy to them, okay? I'm just going to lay that there. But I was thinking about how we've been responding to, oh, these are not my active pants. Okay. I was thinking about how we've been responding to, to the drama with the soda fountain in the dining hall over the past few weeks, okay? You see these all the time, all right? Now, the dining hall blesses us. And yet, don't we often complain that our cups never have enough? The world wants us to see this dining hall cup as a curse, something that will never have enough ice from the machine, something that will never have enough, you know, you know uh, soda fountain options without the out-of-order sign on them, something that will never have enough of like those almond milk boxes. When we define blessings on our own terms, when we take the cups into our own hands, we never find enough life. Because blessings come from God's abundance, but curses come from sin limity. When we try to bless ourselves, we draw from human, human limitedness rather than God's overflowing wealth. The Christian story, though, celebrates that God blesses creation. Our God is not the kind of God who sets the world into motion and then runs away. God continues to engage with the world he loves, filling creation with gifts that bring life. And these blessings are what keep the world running, not our own human ability and strength. And that's why we can say that God's blessing is always better. God's blessing is always better. While the world is covered in curse and the power of death grips strongly on us, we trust that the power of God's blessing is even stronger. When we feel like we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, the end of the dining hall cups, running on fumes, we trust that nothing, not even the curses of prophets, can hijack God's good gifts or stop God's blessing from spreading through the world. And these blessings are sustained by the power of Jesus. In his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed are you in a world swirling with curses. For those of us who practice life in God's kingdom, we lean into more than just generic spirituality or, or shouts at the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit works in the world, giving us the gifts that we need for an abundant life. And so at Trinity, we commit to keeping God's blessings at the center of everything we do here. You know, let's, let's never be one of those Christian colleges that becomes celebrate and show the world that here at Trinity is in response to God's blessing. Because the gifts of the Spirit are all around us, aren't they? God has blessed you with the skills that you're developing in your classes, the knowledge that you need to answer God's call to serve the world. God has blessed you with built-in opportunities for engaging deeper in wellness, spiritual growth, and community formation. God has blessed you with the friends, the mentors, the colleagues, and the relationships that will follow you through the next seasons of life. God has blessed us at Trinity with what we need to flourish. In the face of scarcity and curses, we ask God for eyes to see these blessings, for hearts to receive them, for hands to steward them. Might we catch a vision for this kind of life in our coming year together? Could we truly trust God's promise to sustain our community and enjoy the gifts that flow from this abundance? And so we can say that we are a blessed community not because like, God has given us everything that we want, but because God has given us everything that we need for a life of faithfulness and flourishing. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. May our year at Trinity Christian College be truly blessed by God. Let's pray. Thank you, God. You are the giver of all good things. And sometimes when we look around us, all we seem to see are bad things. Things that always go wrong. Things that make us upset. Things that stress us out. But God, we know that you are always giving us more. You are always sustaining us and giving us the strength to do good work in the world. So God, we ask that your spirit would open us to receive these blessings. Would you help us use the gifts that you've given us for good? Would you help us to be faithful uh, witnesses to your work in the world? Would you help us be people who, like the people of Israel, when other people see us, they see that we are set apart, that we are living a life that's not coming from our own strength, but that is coming from the life of your blessings. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the life of all these things, for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom. And we ask these things in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And God's people said. Thank you for listening to Trinity Christian College's Chapel Podcast. To learn more about campus ministries at Trinity, visit trnty.edu slash chapel.